Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing 90s B-Sides. I'm really up for this. Can I shock you? I know what the song means. All music is fruit. Stop letting them see behind the curtain. It annoys me that you don't think you're wrong. I'm struggling right now, if I'm honest. Hello, welcome to another episode of Review 2. This week will be Review 2-ing the best of the B-sides from 1990 to 2000. And just like last episode, the way we're going to be doing this is by going through the disc 2 of the best of 90 to 2000 that came out in 2002, I believe. Yeah, it came out in 2002, November the 5th, and it was apparently a success. The album charted. It was number one in 13 countries. I remember this being like a big a big thing at the time. A I'm, lot of people had this, yeah. I remember the, the advertisements, but you two were riding high at this point. Certainly. I mean, coming off the back of... All You Can't Leave Behind, a very successful album. Rolling Stone said it was, you know, the, the third in that trilogy of masterpieces. It was Rolling Stone, wasn't it? Yes, Rolling Stone said that, yeah. So, yeah, they're riding high. And if anyone wants to have a look at, um, or wants to know more, rather, about what the band were up to at this period, all you have to do is go back to our All You Can't Leave Behind episode. We've not got a great deal to say in this introduction because we've already covered this bit of history in the band's career. And we are continuing our odyssey. I, E, and B. So that's Innocence, Experience, and B-Sides. The catchiest season ever on Review 2. Right, I bet a listener could come up with a better name for that. Please do, but I think the rhyme really secures it. I, E, B. Well, I wanted to call it 90s BS. (laughs) But that implies that the band aren't producing very good work here. No, well, you know, B-Sides. Does anyone really care about B-Sides anymore? I don't think that not many people do do decent B-sides, if any. Well, I think you two are a good band to focus on B-sides because they often, and this can be frustrating as well as great, they often have great B-sides. They have real gems that you listen to and your first reaction is, wow, this is great. But are there any B-sides from, say, the Songs of Innocence singles? This is the problem with, with downloads, surely, because you download a song. Yeah. That's the song. So... The B-side these days, I mean, it's kind of... Does it still exist? I guess so, on um, on certain physical releases. But as an idea, it doesn't really make as much sense when you literally aren't flipping over a record or, you know, getting a single and yeah. wanting to get something back from that. Yeah. Um, I do just want to talk briefly about the timing of this release. We talked about the timing of the previous best of, the, 80s, the 80 to 90s best of. Uh, a year after pop, as we felt like it was a way to make up for pop not being that well received, um, and a way to stay in the public consciousness. But this is only four years later, and okay, they've had one, they've had a huge comeback in in terms of all you can't leave behind. Mm-hmm. So, did they, did they need this at this point? I'd say they didn't need it, but it was good timing. Means they could release another single. Electrical Storm. And Hands. Yeah, and Hands at Bilkis America, which we will eventually get round to doing. Probably going to have to do a Best of the Rest episode and or something That's like that. That's a good way of thinking about it, actually, yeah. Best of the Rest, where we just mop up everything we've not got round to, but know we probably should talk about. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so it was good as a vehicle to sell those particular singles. I think, I mean, if anyone else experienced this record as I did, they got it quite early on when they were a young fan and it introduced them to a bevy of singles all in one, you know, collection, all in one place. And it just meant that you could you could go through it really effectively. Yeah, I, 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 I do think it's a very good uh, CD. And I remember knowing a lot of people who had this CD in the collection. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is just the timing. And maybe they, I don't know, they didn't want to lose any momentum between All That You Can't Leave Behind and How To Dismantle An Atomic Bomb. Perhaps. And also, as a band that are certainly at this point, not known for their nostalgia. They have just had that 80s collection. Maybe they wanted to bring out the 90s quite soon after just to say, and this is the rest of the stuff, and now let's move forward. You know, I don't think Mm. they wanted that image of them, you know, in the Joshua Tree, Rattle and Hum era to dominate because they're moving forward and creating new sounds. Perhaps it's drawing a line from it. I think my my main concern with the album is that... um, What's the song called? Electrical Storm. (laughs) Electrical Storm wasn't brought out in that decade. uh, And neither was Hands That Built America. So that's the problem I have with it. Yeah. But maybe that's... Technically wrong, I suppose. So yeah, and maybe I'm just a bit of an anorak and I I just... It's always annoyed me. If if it says 90 to 2000, then it should stick to that. Uh, Mm. If they wanted it to be 90 till 2002 do that then so you'd rather have this best of well wait hang on we can do we can do this for beautiful day stuck in a moment all those songs because they came out past the deadline date yeah but it i don't think it matters to be honest it would be a much weaker it annoys me because it'd be weaker wouldn't it maybe this is a a collector mindset but i would like a definitive 2000 to 2010 collection of songs that they put together but really, they've only got two albums to choose from. Yeah, that's going to be next week's episode. And I think what we're going to have to do is we'll have to divide up what we think should be on that kind of you know collection. By the way, if you're an ardent U2 fan and you think, wait a minute, I've not got that record, that's because that record does not exist. And myself and Johnny are going to have to try and produce that record and see... Yeah, the B-sides bit of it, yeah. yeah see what we can put in there but there's not a lot of stuff there's not a lot of material to to go through well i think you'll be surprised at what kind of stuff you can find in that era there is a lot of not particularly great b-sides i would say but that'll be interesting to talk about as well and i think what we'll end up doing is having a look through fan sites you know all the great fan sites like start uh, u2 start and interference and seeing what other people have put together for that because i'm sure people have thought about you know what kind of b-sides they would put together for a best of that would be the naughty's best of it's rather strange in this this collection of songs then that we're reviewing today this is pretty much the last after this point it went downhill a little bit in many fans eyes with atomic bomb and no line on the horizon Certainly no line. Um, I, I And I really enjoy Atomic Bomb, but I do think that a lot of fans were probably souring towards U2 after this point. Well, it's difficult because commercially speaking, very successful record. Yeah. A Vertigo, huge single. For better or for worse, it was played everywhere. So 
I don't know, maybe. Uh, and I mean, anyone who wants our opinions on that, obviously go to that episode. Yeah. But broadly speaking, no, I don't know. I'm trying to sum up a whole album now and my feelings on it in one. It's quite difficult. There's, there's some great songs on both of those albums, online and on Bomb. Well, you know, and we, we don't need to discuss that. If you do want to find our unadulterated reviews of Atomic Bomb and No Line, then you just need to go click a few spaces back on SoundCloud and they'll be there. Yeah, um, so going into the B-sides, there isn't that much to say, um, but I've got a quote from Rolling Stone which I thought was interesting. Uh, their review of the, you know, the kind of the double album here, and they say the B-sides predictably are less consistently satisfying. They highlight the fact that 10 of the 14 tracks are remixes and they say all edges in sense, sorry, all edges in search of a center, which is interesting. So they see this as pretty inessential, as pretty not really important and not particularly satisfying. And I guess we'll have to just see whether that is borne out over these tracks. Is this a worthwhile B-Sides collection? So shall we go track by track? Absolutely. So from Innocence to Experience, shake it, shake it, shake it like Salome as we review to the 90s B-Sides. So here we go with track one. It's Lady with the Spinning Head from the Even Better Than the Real Thing single. The extended dance mix, Tyler. Yes, okay, the extended dance mix. Are we going to go through each and every remix? Well, I mean, there is a bit of a difference here. I mean, I'm, I am sounding a bit kind of pernickety, but there is a big difference between this version and the other version. Is it called the uh, the UV1 version or something like that? I can't, I, I can't remember all the different... I think listeners are going to have to bear with us this week because we might not be getting very small details correct. I don't really care too much about that. And if we are your only source of U2 information, oh God help you, uh, then your trust is misplaced. Um, quite severely, I would, I would wager. Yeah, so strap in for that. Um, but this is, in my opinion, the best version um, of this song. I agree. Yep. And it's so danceable. It's got such... Danceable? Is that a word? Let's say it is for now, and quibble later. Mistake number one. Um, Are you feeling danceable? <laughs> um, so, this is the kind of carefree abandon that I wish you two would... This side of you two I wish was presented a lot more often. Um, the song is so good because it makes you actually feel like you're spinning around. It spins around in your headphones because of all that it phasing. It does have that... Um drunken disco quality to it but it's a fun drunken disco oh yeah absolutely it's before everybody is in the gutter being (laughs) sick (laughs) it's uh it's very much the party part of the night yeah so it's great that it kicks off it's got i mean this is the best track list this is the best place for this song isn't it yeah i mean i put the i put this album on and i was like okay I'm, i'm really up for this um yeah sometimes when you know you've got to sit through an album Particularly what like we do and make notes and try and find something interesting to talk about in a song, it can be mm. quite an arduous task. But man, I was I was dancing around my kitchen listening to this. This was amazing. In terms of history, this song was the original demo from which the Fly and Ultraviolet were spawned, and you can hear that you know in different sections of the song. You literally you know kind of there's a murky kind of middle section which I really like. And I like the fact that it does break away and kind of goes a bit more dark and deep for a, for a little bit in the middle. And then you get a 
so it's almost like a roller coaster, you know, kind of ratcheting up before you plunge down into the ultraviolet, you know, the da 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 and then yeah. and then you swoop into the fly, the solo. So it's it's literally sections, you know, kind of dropped in, but it works so well. Where do you think this song came from? Do you think it came from the earlier days of Actung or the later stages of Actung? Mm, because could... it it does have that quality of a song it, like you two do that sometimes they'll have two songs put together at first and then they'll split up and become two different great songs yeah that's happened with one yeah um so is this something that lady with the spin hand was what they were working on and they thought that these all these different sections would work better in their own context or is the lady with the spinning head a song where they just got the best bits and molded them together, kind of like a, a remix. I think it's more the first. I think you've got that baseline, and then you know, as a backbone for the whole song, and the kind of feeling, and then the that kind of thing. Yeah. And then they realise that certain sections would work better in yeah. their own separate songs. Yeah, I I just didn't know where to place it. I think I think as good as the song is, and it is a very good song, um, it doesn't fit. On Actung Baby, even though it's made up mm. of so many different parts of those songs on Actung yeah. Baby, I wouldn't put it on Actung Baby because it's it is just too similar, you know. I but, think, but it is good enough to be on an album. But the thing is, it's too. You need to take out those sections which are literally repeated in the Fly and um, Ultraviolet. So I just think it wouldn't. You, you kind of can't do it. It'd be like putting Always on um, All That You Can't Leave Behind. It just wouldn't make sense. I think I think I think that's different. I think always is a B side, but I think this could have been an A side, and it fits in with the canon of that early nineties uh, pop disco phase that was happening. Mm. Although you couldn't really release this version as a single because it takes so long for you to get to the vocal. Yeah, true. It'd be a great album starter, but I guess that's what it is. It, I think for what it is, it does the job perfectly for the starting track for you know the B sides. Um, Acting Baby would have needed to be a, a different album. If this was going to be on it, I I just think yeah, this song is more like a, a sort of a tour around the, the sites of Acting Baby, you know, and almost sounds a bit like pop at the start. I think yeah, I um, think I think Acting Baby had a rock centricity about it. Yeah, and if if Acting Baby had been more dance orientated, then yeah. I think this song could have gone on it. Well, my question to you about about that is: is this the kind of thing you're hoping? Because I mean, I think you've said. In anticipation for experience, you want you want experience to be a bit more poppy, as in like the album pop. And that, is this yeah. the kind of thing you want them to do? Um, well, there's two ways to answer that. I would I would love them to enter territory where they are creating music in the same vein as pop, i.e., with the, the same motivations, the same ideas, um, and hopefully the same end game. Mm-hmm. But I also, in the other sense of, of Poppy, um, I, I think I said on the last podcast, um, people like David Guetta uh, and, and Kygo, those kind of if people, Swedish House Mafia, Mafia would be another one. Mm-hmm. That very electronic, synthy, but dance pop orientated thing. I think there is this chasm that uh, in U2's canon that they have never really achieved success at doing that. And they've attempted it very at various points. Um, so when you say that, yes, I would like them to do something like this because when I put this album on, I think I've en- I enjoy this album right now mm. 
more than I ever have done because I was, I was just going through the tracks and going, yeah, this is exactly what I want from you two. Yeah. Dirty Day, the Junk Day Mix. And this is from the Please single. Now, listeners will know, if they have tracked back to the Zeropa episode, that I'm not really the biggest fan of Dirty Day. It, sometimes I'm in the right mood for it, but overall, on Zeropa, I don't think it's the strongest track. There are some pluses. You know, you've got some great lyrics in this, you know, about holding on to something so tight, you've already lost it. But the additional material that's added to the track here on this mix, the junk, if you will, remains quite dull to me, to be honest. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, as I said, like it's not going to be any surprise to anybody the, the songs I love. I think the, the listeners could guess. You could look at the track listing now and write down which which songs you think I like. What a great game. Uh, yeah. Um, well, we have the entertainment of the, the Review 2 Anoraks in mind whenever we do this so no i love it and this uh, i think i prefer this version um i can't remember what i said on when i was reviewing zeropa but i know that i really enjoyed listening to this i prefer this version actually and i actually think it's more suitable for zeropa itself it has a, it has a little bit more soul as well like yeah. a little bit more depth and there's some great lyrics in in here which for some reason come across as having more resonance with this mix I don't know why. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's um, you've got that that foundation of the rather happy remix sound, and then this rather soulful lines like uh, "From father to son in one life has begun a work that's never done." That that idea of you know the continuing experience from you know from father to son, father to mm. son, father to son, and it just there's just something lovely about that life cycle there's a lot of family on Zeropa isn't there I know we're not doing Zeropa but just it dawns on me there's a lot of familial material on yeah. that album Yeah, interesting um, what do you make of when Bono uh, shouts wake up and really you know really loudly I, I like it because it's not something I expect Bono to do certainly not in this song no I don't and it's unwelcome. <laughs> really? It sounds stupid. It sounds like it's just gimmicky. Oh, I, I like mean, it, it did wake me up, but that was because I was snoring a little bit because of the song. I, I just really like it. I like this song, um, and two songs in, I, I really was having fun. Like, I was listening to to these two songs, uh, or the first part of this album before I went to work, and it really put me in a good mood for the rest of the day. So... I'm I'm loving this album so far. I have had good ex- I I have had good kind of you know listens of this song. I I don't want to say that I hate it completely, but why is it the second track on this as well? Why have we not got um, you know it, it seems odd to me. Well, to what order would you like? Not a remix of an old song, right away. I want I would order it with. Um, but this is the difference between this album and the previous uh, previous best of album because with the previous. B-sides. Sometimes it was covers. Um, sometimes it was original songs. Uh, but in the 90s, the focus for them was on remixing and finding the new sounds. So I don't mind the remixes. Yeah, um, that makes sense, I suppose. I mean, okay, I, I, I'll take your criticism for Dirty Day because it's on an album. Mm. It's, pretty, it's uh, officially and wi- widely released. It's not a rarity. Yeah. 
maybe this version is a rarity, but in, in terms of real rarities, it, it's not a completely different song. It's still very much the same song. It still sounds like Dirty Day. So yeah. I'll t- I, will t- I will take that criticism, but I think it is good. And yeah. it's just, it's a representation of what they were doing as B-sides. Last question about this song. Should this version, if you could go back, I mean, obviously it was done after the album had been finished, but which version do you think would sit better on Zeropa? Having not heard Zeropa in a while, um, then I'm going to choose this one. But I don't know if that's fair. Uh, if I've never sat down and compared the tracks. I think there's a lot of remixes of Dirty Day. I know there's one single. It may be the Please single. That's where this one's from. Yeah, I think there's two remixes of D- of Dirty Day on the Please single. Perhaps. Um, we could look that up, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think this version should be on Zeropa um, because it, I think it has more of that sprawl about it. You know, there's a lot on it. It is more soulful. And I think that one-two punch of Dirty Day and First Time slows Europa down a lot, you know, at the end. So I would prefer this version to be on it. However, I would have told Bono to sort out that wake-up line because I hate it. Track three, Summer Rain from the Beautiful Day single. Now, this is where I find the placing a little bit strange because we've had two B-sides from the, the early 90s. And then we're moving on almost ten years later. Mm. Uh, I won't get back into that. Um, to this is a, a B side from the noughties now, um, and I think it is a nice little song, but it's B side material. No, it is B side material. No, it's. If you're about to tell me that this belongs on all that you can't leave behind, I am about to say. I'm that. gonna, I'm gonna slap you. Can I shock you? This song belongs on All You Can't Leave Behind in place of Wild Honey. Ow. Um, it's a better song than Wild Honey. It's got a more confident vocal. It's uh, particularly in the Just As You Find Me bit. The melody to that is worked out properly, unlike Wild Honey, where you've got that terrible midsection where Bono's just sort of flailing about and going... Like, it's not very good. At least you can sing along to Wild Honey. Sing along to this. I, I just I'm not going to. But I don't can. think the production quality is as high on Summer Rain. Well, that's um, no. I think it sounds great. He's got a nice sort of shaky tremolo guitar as well as the acoustic. It seems underworked. Which sounds which sounds like rain. It's got a great groove to it. Adam's on form. I think this one. Well, yeah, really... he's always on form. Um, I would. I would have put this on. I think it's it's brilliant. No, you're so wrong with that. And it's got a nice bittersweet quality. It annoys me that you don't think you're wrong. I'm not wrong, that's why. You are so wrong. This no, this would slow the album down so much. Just as a straw poll, if anyone could say, you know, just right or wrong here, you know, you'd have to go into a huge spiel. I think I'm right. It, it's a better song than, than Wild Honey and it should have been on the album. It's not. Nowhere near as good as Wild Honey. And I used to really like this song. When I was about 16... When I first started to learn the bass, mm-hmm. this is one of the songs that I really wanted to learn. But you know, it's pretty simplistic. I think it's almost the same song as "Beautiful Day" on the bass. You said this before. It's really not. It is. This always and "Beautiful Day" are no. I've, I've the, said the this three well. in the same. That's no. It's not true. Always and "Beautiful Day." Yeah, because one spawned the other. But I just, I don't think this is <laughs> that's right at all. Um. 
Wild Honey is too sweet and sickly. Right, okay. The song. What, just going off the title, are we? No, because... No, it is, right? Oh, come on. I was... In the days, I was a monkey swinging from the tree. It sounds like a children's song. I like that, though. Yeah, fine. When Bono and you two release a um, a children's album... I'm... And I think it sounds more summery than this song. But it's not about summer. It's about summer rain. That's the point. That's what the point uh... I'm getting to. It's bittersweet. There's a... There's bitterness and sweetness mixed I, together. I know what the song means. But that, but that's what I'm not... I'm saying that it's not trying to sound summery, right? And I always forget there's a distorted guitar later on in this, which I think, again, really reinforces that point. It's not just all jingly and happy. There is that distorted guitar. Well, they should have sorted that out in post. No, it's a good dis, uh, distorted guitar. Well. Unlike the... Um, the, the guitar little thing that happens in Wild Hunt. <laughs> Look, I really used to like this song, but I'm so bored of it now. It it does it has no staying power whatsoever. And I think the reason I liked it when I was 16, when I was trying to be in a band and was trying to be a musician, is because it ha- it sounds like the kind of song that a teenage band would write. It's boring. Well, no, it isn't. Because it really <laughs> is. It's about, it's about age and it's about abandon. And it's about, you know, I lost myself in the summer rain. That's such an evocative well, image. Well, it's aged badly, and I wish to abandon the track. Mm. No. <laughs> Batten down the hatches, Tyler. Would you for an electrical storm? Brackets band version. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I've never heard anybody describe it as an electrical storm before. Have you? I mean, I know what it means. It means thunder and lightning, mm. but... Yeah, it would be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. If someone just came in and said, oh, there's been an electrical storm outside. Yeah. I think it's... they were mad. I mean, it doesn't sound strange, but when you actually think about it, what are they talking about? Well, perhaps they are using slightly defamiliarizing terms to make us reconceptualize the idea of a storm. Perhaps it's not just about weather. Maybe that's what they say in Ireland. I think, no, it's probably more the, like, it's a symbolism Maybe of... Maybe it's a local uh, colloquial... A local colloquialization. <laughs> oh, it's an electrical storm out there. <sighs> We've managed to do so many podcasts without doing a disgraceful Irish accent, so all of your hate mail can be directed to Tyler on that. Um, so, electrical storm, band version. I guess we're going to have to talk about the other version that's present here. Um, was this the single, or was this the other version well this is this is another problem i have with this album <laughs> both versions were released uh as a single you had single you had cd1 and cd2 oh, yeah, CD yeah. so the william orbit version which i think is generally considered to be the more official version annoyingly that's what i thought yeah um that was cd1 if if i'm if i'm remembering rightly mm. and this band version was CD2, and they were two separate singles, two versions, um, and I'm a bit annoyed, to be honest. Although I like both songs, and in many ways this was the song that got me into U2 in a very big way, I kind of wish that it was reversed, that this band version was on the best of, and the William Orbit version was on the B-sides. It's a very small problem. Yeah. Uh, but I that's the way I, I wish it was. Uh, and also, it's not a B-side because it was released. 
Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. And the other thing is they have loads of B-sides. Like, where's the, um, at this point, where's Always? Where's, um, well, talking about Electrical Storm, the two New York remixes I think are really interesting. I I would take them over a lot of the other songs on here, personally speaking. Um, So, yeah, I mean, which version is your preferred version of Electrical Storm? That's really tricky. Um, I think this one, no. But I, I... I always thought this sounded a bit flat in the past. I still think it sounds a little bit flat compared to the other one. I think there are really there are really big peaks on this version, but I like the the mood and the the subtlety of the start of the other one. I think contrary to a lot of the things I say about my desires for new new music at this point, when I hear this song and I, this particular version that is, I I can hear a band working together, and I I just I really like to hear that mm. um and there's not too much studio trickery in this song i don't think so yeah i really enjoy it i really enjoy this version and the band sound amazing but you know whichever version you like it is it's still a good song and we've never reviewed electrical storm that's what we're doing now well i know we're, we're doing it so it's good that we've actually got round to this one this is one of the ones we can check off the list it's a really really good song um it's what is it about then? The Electrical Storm? Yeah. I have not a clue. <laughs> you? Well, I think it's to do with... Well, I, mean, I think it's to do with a big argument and with... A, a, I mean, I always used to think early on that it was about a big argument. You know, somebody saying, baby, don't cry, and see it swells like a like a sore head. It's all about, you know, kind of maybe an argument, maybe there's been a, too much to drink, things said that you can't take back. And it's about that huge argument, that storm, and then there's sort of almost a sense of clearing you know yeah but um hot as hell hot in this room hope the weather will break soon yeah i think that's a reasonable interpretation um bono said that uh that the song was an attempt to capture a sense of unease that he was um he could sense around the world at this time particularly in america so he said that this is quote a post 9-11 song but it's not overtly political and i do get that from this song yeah i don't think it's a political song and a new to you know that's quite a lot of subtlety used by you too. Maybe mm. they used up the supply of subtlety on this song because after this, it got a bit uncomfortable. He wants love and peace, or else, yeah. Tyler, or, or else. else, yeah. I'd, and footnote: I really like that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should footnote more often in this podcast. Um, You'll be referencing yourself next. Larry Mullen said that Electrical Storm was an incomplete idea. It had a great guitar riff, and there's some really beautiful melodic ideas. And he, the, he said that the band worked very hard trying to put those ideas together, but in the end, they didn't quite nail it. What do you think? I mean, that's his general No, I view. think this is great. I, th- I think mm. if, if you were going to have a definitive best of, of, say, 12 songs, you know, no more than that, uh, you know, what are the best U- 12 U2 songs? Of all time? Yeah. I think this is a serious contender. Wow. Because the the band are really are really on good form within this song. And I think the, the lyrics have a lot of weight. Uh, the ideas are very interesting. Uh, the video is great with Larry doing some acting. Plus Samantha Morton. I don't think Larry acts that well in that video, to be honest. I think he does a lot of sort of standing about. I You know that, that bit in the video where he's pulling the bath out of the sea? Yeah, I always feel really sorry for him. Like, I hope there was some 
trickery and like a track underneath to help him do it because that he looks like he's struggling. Well, it's a it's a bath, and it, it does look like an unenviable task. But if it was easy and he was just you know on rollers going da 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 da, you know that wouldn't really work, would it? Yeah, but it just I just always see that. God, he must have been so annoyed that day. <laughs> Poor Larry Mullen. Because Larry doesn't like doing anything like that. And then it, how do you know whether or not Larry Mullen likes because, well, moving look baths at, Look at the last forty years of his career. He's quite happy to be in the background. And tell the others what to do. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. He doesn't like being front and centre. I thought you meant specifically he doesn't like moving around domestic objects. <laughs> Larry t- Mullen will not be seen hefting a washing I machine. Don't th- I don't think he would particularly enjoy dragging old Victorian baths across a, a pebbled beach. Who would? No, fair enough. Um, it's just a funny thing to sort of, you know, have a bugbear against. I think I think it's a great song. I really do... Um, it's it's one of the best U2 songs to sing along to as a singer. Cause it, hard. Yeah, it's very hard. There's some really interesting melodies in there, and it really, really tests your voice. Um, but I do I do have a friend who is absolutely in love with this song in um, a, a rather a nice, um, childlike way. You know when you, first, when you first hear a song and you just can't stop listening to it? That yeah. has never gone away for him with this song. So whenever he comes around... He'd like request that we do it, and that I try my best to sing it. And sometimes I can do it pretty well, but it depends how how warmed up I am. Mm. Um, but it, I'm actually really fond of those times when he comes around because that's pretty much the only time I listen to this song now. And it is a good one. Well, two things I want to pick up on. A, I think eventually when we um, you know kind of conclude this whole podcast and wrap it up, I think we will have to give a top ten, which will be provisional. You know. Of course, it always changes. So it'd be interesting to see if that song makes a cut when we look back across this whole U2 odyssey that we have been on and that we have shared with our lovely fans across the world. Um, so, A, I wanted to ask about that. So we'll see if that turns up in your top 10. Um, second, I wanted to say, like... Well, interestingly, I did say top 12 for the best of. Why are we so, having a top 12? No, I was I was imagining a, a physical CD for some reason. <laughs> a 12 tracks that are the best U2 songs of all time. Mm. Um, so if it doesn't make the top 10, it's definitely number 11. Okay. Um, the other thing is... And by the way, I just want to say a shout out to my friend Chris, because he does listen to every episode. And um, he's probably... He, he's the, the friend who comes around and I we sing... So it loves to be described as in a childlike way he likes this song. I, I think I think there's a that's a lovely way to describe someone. Particularly how you enjoy a song. Well you've got to stay a child somewhere in your heart, Tyler. Um I think this is one of the most distinctive sounding U two songs. Nothing really and this is my second point that I wanted to get to. Can you think of any other U two song that sounds a bit like this? No. Uh, I think that's a real positive because I love albums to be cohesive. I love the fact that, you know, the Joshua Tree the Joshua Tree, all the um, songs more or less sound like they come from the same kind of place and that gives a real great sense of cohesiveness. But nothing else sounds like this. And I think that's one of its strongest assets as a That's an interesting thing because I do have uh, friends who aren't very big U2 fans that know this song. This Mm. is one of the songs that people know and it's not on an album. It was just a standalone single. So I think that speaks to the power of it. So now we move on to track five, North and South of the River, originally released on the Stirring at the Sun single. So pop era we're moving to now. First time we visited that era Mm. on this album. 
Um, very different though from most of the stuff from Pop. It is very different. Can't see this on the album. Nope. Thank God. What? I meant uh, that just because of the tone, but you don't like this song. I don't like this song. It sounds cheesy. It, oh my God. Do you know what? I get, I get the impression of like, I particularly Edge. I see, um, I see like a boy band in all dressed in white and Edge is on a, on like a, one of those tall stools that boy bands sit on playing the guitar. Mm. Um, Boyzone could have done this song. No, they could not. Might have been better. Oh. <laughs> it's not what you two do, and I don't like it. Uh, and the do-do bit that Edge does, I think it's mainly Edge. I think, yeah, okay. I think it's probably both of them, yeah. Um, but it just reminds me too much of that Lou Reed song. Is it Walk on the Wild Side, that? Uh, I don't think oh, I don't know. Um, I'm not a huge Lou Reed fan, but this this seems to be their attempt at a Lou Reed song, and it comes across mm. as being a awful mid '90s boy band song. It's terrible. Right, listeners, I'm I'm ignoring Tyler. Me and you, we know this is a good song. Um, and it was originally written not by only you two. It was written in collaboration with Christy Moore. Now I think this is a really subtle song. And it's in the same vein, politically speaking, and kind of, you know, in terms of its meaning, as Please, as um, Sunday Bloody Sunday, as Peace on Earth. It's all about trying to reject a certain violent approach to solving really deep divisions, you know, unionist nationalists, with the Liffey acting as that metaphor between, you know, north and south of the river, that division. But unlike, say, Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is great in its own way, this is a lot more calm and subtle. It's got a real weariness. It feels like there's an accumulated weariness of seeing, you know, um, a lot of injury, a lot of death and a lot of bad blood carrying on. And that's why I think it's a great song because, well, a lot to do with the lyrics and I like both versions. Some high ground is not worth taking. You know, some connections are not worth making. There's an old church bell no longer ringing. It's about moving on from things, having trying to have as clean break as possible you can have with a violent past and saying, you know, let's try to come together over that division. So, I mean, I like that, and I know it's very easy for me to just like a wholesome message or, you know, a message of peace. But I think the song's really great and reflects that. And this just, is this not not doing it for you? No. The message <laughs> is all well and good, but it's just not a very good song. Well, the thing is, I can see that perspective because that's broadly the way I feel about Peace on Earth. Don't particularly like the song, completely agree with where it's going in terms of its message. So, well, maybe we'll never see eye to eye on this. I think it's so so subtle. I like the do 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 do. It's nice. I think it's not boy bandy. No, it's just well that bit's that bit particular is boy bandy, and it does it does sound like a bad uh, Lou Reed ripoff. Well, what you might need then is the Christy Moore version. You know, just stripped down, particularly live. You know, him and an acoustic. It really comes into its own there. I think it's a great version of it. Well, it's it's just a bit jarring with what they were doing at that point as well. It doesn't seem to fit in with my and it is because i have those singles mm. i see it as part of of the the pop package but it just it's a bit jarring it doesn't seem to fit that that era of music for you two mm. difficult difficult for me to say where it where it could be placed well do you know where i think it should be placed in the bin no not in the bin on or you can't leave behind they should have kept it held uh. it back off goes Wild Honey, on goes Summer Rain, off goes Peace on Earth, 
on goes North All I can South say is I'm really glad they didn't ask you. It, it would be a, it would be a stronger album, in my humble opinion. It's time to go to your blue room, and we run into some problems here with this song because it is on an album, Passengers Original Soundtracks One, um, that we are eventually going to get round to reviewing at some point. And it's one of the highlights on that album. It's Bono's favourite song, apparently. What do you think, Tyler? Well, for those keeping score at home, this is the fourth song out of six that you could quite right, rightly argue shouldn't be on this record. Because <laughs> it's not a B-side. It's not a U2 song. Well, it's a pa- yeah, a passenger it's song. It's a passenger song, which, okay, all four members of U2 are in Passengers. That's all well and good. Mm-hmm. But this is a U2 best of B-sides. But was it a B-side for a single? Uh, have some... a click. I'll have a click of that mouse and find look. out for us. <laughs> no, original soundtrack. No, one. so it's just an album track uh, off off original soundtracks from Passengers. See, the thing is, I was going to call you pedantic then and sort of make fun, but that is very true, isn't it? And yeah. it's not like they had no other B-sides. No, and they have good B-sides as well. If we're being cynical, could we say that they were squirreling away a lot of the good B-sides to keep for releases later on? You know, fan releases, for example, like the Rare Remastered, you know, that that kind of thing. Possibly. Possibly, but... I I don't know. It's just a a little bit annoying, but we are getting pedantic there. Yeah. Uh, Just a little bit. When I was younger, I listened to this B-sides CD a hell of a lot more than I did Passengers and I love this song and almost sort of was surprised when I started listening to Passengers again when I got a bit older and was able to appreciate it more yeah. that well, it was on here. We, Knowing full well we are in the in the future going to do a Passengers album, how do you want to review this? Just do it quickly and get it over with? or Well the thing is I always feel whenever we've done a track that there's so much more I could have said about a song so yeah. if we do it twice who cares? I mean, I think, you know... Okay, in the context we'll of this forgiven. collection, then. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Um, brings the mood down a little bit, doesn't <laughs> it? I, and I like the song. I think it's a good song, but it does bring the mood down. But I, I like all the places where this record, this collection of B-sides, I keep calling it a record like it's a proper album. It's not. Um, I like all the places that, it, that it's been taking me so far. It takes me to very chilled out places, and then very dancey places at the start and in later songs, as we'll see. And I love the atmosphere of this song. It's you two trying to get, you know, that kind of, for want of a better word, blue sound. You know, that kind of almost jazzy kind of sound. But if if Bono ever came on, you know, kind of... If Bono ever released a statement saying, we're going to do a jazz record, I would put my head in my hands and weep because I think it would be terrible. But this is the closest to that kind of smooth sound that I think actually works for them. It does work. It, it does actually work. There's a strange um, tone on Bono's voice in this song, which I can... I, the only other time I've ever really noticed it would, would be on the charity single of Beautiful Day. Not uh, Sorry, Perfect Day, the, the Lou yeah. Reed cover, which I believe was for Children in Need over here in the UK. That was about 95, 96... Yeah, maybe to push ninety seven, but around that time frame anyway. Uh, and Bono just has a little snippet within that song, very similar to 
the Christmas, the Band Aid Christmas song. Yeah. Uh, but there's an, an there's a, a tone on Bono's voice which doesn't sound like you too. It's very warm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bono normally has a very echoey, reverby kind of sound on his voice, which isn't the case here. He's so almost it, whispering into the microphone here in a lot of places, isn't he? Yeah, and again, it it does sound like a Lou Reed impersonation. Um, not that he's not that he's actually trying to do a Lou Reed voice, but just the production quality is very similar. It's a lot more mellow, and dare I say, it's a lot more kind of blue in another way. I mean, this song to me does seem to be all about the after hours, you know, kind of area. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I think this song. We've said before, you two have a weird relationship with kind of trying to make sexy music, quote unquote. But I think this works, you know, for that for that kind of mood that they were going for. It sounds like you could have a slow lap dance to this song. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help but feel that when Clayton's vocal comes in later on, though, that might dampen or destroy any kind of, you know, erotic mood created by this song. Oh, you mean because he completely out- outshines Bono? <laughs> Do you actually think he sounds good on this? It's Adam Clayton. He always sounds good. On the bass, he sounds good most of the time. What do you think of this vocal, seriously? I, I think he's done very well. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you say to a child when they've participated and not really done that great. It's the taking part that counts. <laughs> uh, I would like to applaud Adam for stretching his ambition and his talents and turning his hand to something he's never done before. Well... He had done it on the last episode, as you remember, on um, Endless Deep, is it? I always get confused with Deep in the Heart. Yeah, when he's when he was saying, where do we go from here? You know, do you not remember that? That highlight? Of course. It's, uh, it's one of our favourite bits of, of you too. I do not believe you. <laughs> um, one thing that I do like about that little bit that Adam says at the end, this sort of little poem that he says, he says, um, zooming in, zooming out, and sort of picks up on the themes of Zeropa, which I quite like, particularly the babyface themes. Um, but then later on he says, never in company, never alone, no car alarm, no cellular phone. Now, obviously this was recorded and written in an, in an era before iPhones, but just can't help but feel how well that bit sums up what it is to live in an iPhone generation now, or a smartphone generation. Well, I think uh, Adam Clayton is... Um, I think this is pretty well documented that Adam Clayton is a clairvoyant. And can, in fact, tell the future. Mm. Um, he does have mystical powers. And um, so I'm not surprised that the lyrics Adam is singing, uh, you know, depict the future so aptly. Never in company, never alone. That does sum up what it's like, isn't it? I mean, you sat there at the pub and everyone's looking at the phone. You're yeah. never in company. You're never alone anymore. Sums up the duality. Well done, Mystic Meg, Adam Clayton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, um, it's a good song, a much better song than the previous one. It slow, it does slow down this album quite a lot, and um, the placing is weird. The, pl- the, the, just the fact that it's on the album is weird. So, let's say it's on there, for better or for worse, where would you place it? Later? Sooner? Yeah, I think towards the back of the album. Maybe they should. I mean, I I don't understand the placing of this, really. I used to listen to this record all the time. How are we supposed to view Passengers? Are we supposed to view it as part of the U2 canon? No, it's Passengers. I think that's why... Yeah, it's a completely separate entity. Yeah, because this is is very much 
given the space to be something different, you know. And Brian Eno is all over this. Uh, I don't know if it's Eno or Edge playing the organ on it, but it sounds very Eno-ish. And I think this is maybe one of the songs where they actually worked on it a little bit more, developed it into a song rather than being a sound experiment. Um, I, mean, I guess we really are getting a sneak peek of Passengers here, but yeah. um, it's I'd love to see it live, though. I mean, it has been played on U2, at U2 shows, you know. So, you know, that's them covering Passengers. That's fine, but that's them playing it. This is Passengers playing it. Mm. So it shouldn't be on the best, obviously. No, again. it shouldn't. Absolutely not. On to track seven now. Happiness is a warm gun. The Gun remix, which was featured on the Last Night on Earth single. So back to pop era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is pretty cool. I think uh, this is an interesting sound. Maybe not exactly the type of genre that pop was aiming for, but it's kind of grungy, very Nine Inch Nails. Um, has that very industrial sound. Yeah, It's really interesting. Yeah, it has... I kind of have a love-hate relationship with this song because it has that... It does have that heavy sound, really distorted guitar, which I love. Um, a lot of texture to it. It has a real swagger. However, I realised putting this on for the review that I hadn't listened to this song in a long time and I kind of understand why now because I feel like live, it would work really well, you know, with a, obviously with a lot of kind of, you know, sequences going in the background to fill out the sound. But I think it's... I don't... I'm not on board with Bono's performance for this, you know. I just don't really... It gets a bit cringeworthy, you know, when he's kind of going, happiness is a a warm gun. It just sort of makes me a bit... I think they're experimenting. And they certainly weren't the only people doing that at that point in time. It just... Yeah, just a bit cringeworthy, perhaps. I'm just happy to see that. I like to see you two turn their hand at different things. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad it's the... But no, it's not. It's not going to bowl bowl you over. It's also another cover version, and we know what kind of trouble we got into last uh, time when we were reviewing cover versions. And I don't know. It's I mean, love hate. I do quite like the fact that they have really reinterpreted the song, and it's very different to the Lennon version, which I don't particularly like. Sorry, but I don't. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I'm not going to judge you. Others will, but no mm. judgment from me, man. Surely not. Um, I don't have very much to say about this song. To I be don't honest. either. Um, I've had easy access to this song for a very long time now, um, and maybe <laughs> this is—I don't know if I've heard this song ten times. That's mm. how little my opinion is of it. I think we should put a disclaimer here now. I think going forward through some of these songs, particularly you know remixes of older versions. And that is a problem about this B-Sides collection. There's a lot of remixes here. I think we might not be able to say a lot about them because they are remixes of songs we've talked about before and we're just not that interested in them. <laughs> so, major apologies if you've got this far in the review and you're expecting some, you know, interesting observations. But it might be rough going from here on out. Some stellar insights. Mm. Oh, well, next song, Johnny. Here we go. <laughs> Have you got some sort of respiratory problem at the moment? Salome. <laughs> Shouldn't run up those stairs. Um, so this is Salome, the Zoo Romancer remix edit. 
from the Even Better Than The Real Thing single. And going back on what I just said, there is a lot to talk about with this song um, because it obviously has a biblical past. Are you aware of the Tale of Salome? I am not. Okay, well, settle down, children, and we'll go through a very quick version of it. Salome danced for King Herod, and he was so impressed with this dance that she gave at his birthday banquet that he said, you can have anything you want. And then Salome was given advice by Herodias to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So Salome, apparently, after doing this dance where she removed all these various veils, the dance of the seven veils, so captivated Herod that he ended up making her an offer, which she then took up and led to the murder of John the Baptist. And it was a big price to ask for, for what is basically a strip dance. So there you go. I mean, that's the story of Salome, which kind of puts this song into an interesting light because when you know when we've got lines you know uh baby please baby don't bite your lip uh i'll give you half what i got if you untie the knot it's a promise that's what it's all about it's about herod making that promise to salome when she's been doing this you know this kind of this dance and that adds a kind of a murderous kind of undertone through the song which i think gives it a real edge and makes it really interesting yeah there there is a dark edge to this song mm mm-hmm. mhm and I don't mean that the edge has just suddenly got a tan. Um, it, it is an interesting song, and it's a really good song. And this had me... Um, it's catchy. And that's... I don't think there are too many U2 songs that are overly catchy. Not, I don't know if you know what I mean by that. There's obviously some very good U2 songs that you, you know you can't get out of your head. But it's that pop-style hook, like, shake it, shake it, shake it. Yeah. Which Taylor Swift would eventually several years later steal for shake it off yep rip off that that naughty girl i'll have to get her over my knee one of these days right drag yourself back to salome uh sorry i'm showing my dark edge the um so yeah salome it was stuck in my head all day um yeah love the song really brought the album back to where i wanted it to be after taking a bit of a dip um so yeah really good song can't argue that this belongs on the record. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's it's a B-side. Hooray. Um, it's the best version of this B-side, in my opinion. Um, there are other versions which are a bit less dancey, but I think this is perfect. This is the version I want. And if I was asked what kind of... You know, we've always been had this teaser that you two are actually going to do a proper, full-on dance album. This is the kind of song, along with... Um, Lady with a Spinning Head, that I would like. This would be, you know, kind of the second half of the album where things go a bit more, you know, a bit more late night, a bit more dark. Um, I also think... Might be a bit cringe at this point. Why? Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Is the... Are they in the 60s yet? <laughs> um, we have such little knowledge about the band they, that we do. They, I don't think the, the 60 yet. Bono will be 57 this year. So it's a bit cringe if they're going to do that dark, sexy, kind of underworld um, album now. It would, yeah, it would be different. I think they had a lot more license to do that when they were in this particular era, certainly. Um, But this is what I think should be on that kind of an album. And I also think that this would actually work well in a club context. Agreed. So, So if people didn't know... Motion passed. Good. Um... If people didn't know this was Bono or U2 and this just came on 
and they weren't instantly against it because of I'm assuming most people would be against you know you two being played in a nightclub generally these days you know proper dance nightclub <laughs> maybe I, I'm wrong. I once asked a DJ to play um, a U2 song I was in like, an indie club and they were playing like you know James and stuff like that mm. uh, and the Stone Roses and I thought well I really don't think the fly would be too out of place in a club like this. Yeah, it's not like 4th of July. And I'd just like to see it. I'd just like to see it done. So I think I went over to the DJ and uh, said, uh, would you mind playing U2, The Fly? And he was just like, no way, mate. Hmm. No, like, th- that is just not getting played. I thought we'd have to get some bleeps out, I thought there'd be some swearing. <laughs> so ended up play- he ended up playing Pulp. As like That was our compromise. That's what we decided to compromise on. What is the logic? I... I- because I just another song that I wanted wanted on would have been Pulp. Okay, fine. So he ended up playing Pulp instead. I thought you were saying, and that, I just thought yeah. I wish that DJ had a have risked it. Are they under that strict rules to, you know, have a full dance floor all the time? And I, I think it's not out of place. I think it would work uh, if there's any DJs out there that have played a U2 song uh, in in that club setting. Yeah, and let us know what it was and how it how it went down. Because I don't think I've ever heard a U2 song in a club. We got discotheque once. Um, Where was that? In Club Nirvana in Wigan, once. And it right. was brilliant. Um, how, many, how many other people were in the mosh pit? <laughs> probably very few. Um, probably about two or three people, to be honest. Um, I think Vertigo used to get an outing every now and then in some clubs. But, I mean, A, it's been a long time since I've been to a club. And B, I just think... There probably used to be loads of U2 songs played in clubs ages ago. Yeah. But nowadays, I think it is probably, you know, it's suicide in terms of your credibility as a DJ, which is which is a bit sad. Take risks, DJs. Put 4th of July on 11 o'clock, you know, on a Saturday night and see the dance floor fill up. Even better than the real thing, perfecto mix from the even better than the real thing single. Um... I remember on the Actung Baby podcast, I shocked the world. Uh, they stopped the presses when I said I didn't like this song. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid as much as I do like remixes, the 104 remixes I have heard of this song... Yeah, there still, is a lot. ...still don't um, convince me otherwise. Uh, this version in particular is quite different, actually, from... The, rec- the recorded version on Acting Baby. But once again, you two have entered really, really bad early 90s pop music kind of records. Mm. It's it's not good. This is it's embarrassing. And it and it's aged so much. And bad music ages. <laughs> it's like all music is fruit. I go think. on. Here we All go. All music is fruit. <laughs> yeah, but some fruit lasts longer than other fruit. Like a lemon. A lemon lasts a long time. A lime. I've had a lime in my fridge for years, and it's still fine. Is this turning some sort of weird abstract poetry podcast? <laughs> no, but hey, dig it, bro. <laughs> Limes and lemons. Saint Clemens. Um, but yeah, this is pretty bad. This is like the 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 first banana in the bunch to go off. I think. Right. Okay. I mean, I know you two have got a history with lemons, but I can't see them emerging from a banana. Imagine that, the, if we go and watch them on the Joshua Tree and you hear streets swelling up and the peel comes down 
and then they all just fall out inside <laughs> of the banana. <laughs> Who's at the bottom of the banana? Oh, it's obviously Clayton, isn't it? Really? Get in first, Adam. All right, you know. <laughs> and he's in there. Oh, all right, I'll go in then. Great. Back to this song. <laughs> Although I wouldn't describe it as perfecto, I would say that it's certainly not bad, and it does what it what it sets out to do. And I think what they set out to do with this is let's really have a good go at making that Manchester sound. So we've got the percussion at the start, we've got the backing singers, and we've got the rhythm of the keys. That is very distinctly Manchester. I don't think it sounds like Manchester, though. I think it sounds like Take That. <laughs> terrible. I think it's great. I mean, I used to play this mix to um, to people who liked that whole scene and say, oh, look, this is kind of like a U2 take on that scene. And I think it got some... If not, you know, no, it got some respect. I like that on every uh, podcast, we talk about you showing a particular song to friends and them never being that bowled over by it. Like, yeah. we never hear the results of from these people. No, I suppose not. Um, Do they still talk to you or? Sometimes, you know, I've got correspondence with some of them. Um, once a year, Christmas cards. <laughs> but I, th- I think this is this is... At least it's worth doing. You know, there are some remixes of this song that I think are just a little bit dull, to be honest. Um, the but... song's dull. No, it isn't. There's a reason they remixed it so much. It's bad music. <laughs> I think this is the eternally remixable banana. <laughs> and who thought I'd say that? <laughs> Track 10, and we've got another remix. Numb, the Gimme Some More Dignity Mix Edit from Melon, remixes for propaganda. Now, I guess if we're going to get back on the whole pedantic track, this again maybe shouldn't belong on here. Nope. If you, you agree, Tyler? Not a, not a chance. Sort of one in the eye as well for people who actually, um, you know, subscribed and got the remixes, that got Melon. You know? Yeah, that particular um, remix CD from propaganda is uh, a, a genuine new to rarity. Yeah, although I guess... Overall, I would much rather have access to the, all the music, you know. And these days, it's nice to have a collector's item, but probably... Have you got melon? Yep. But I also have melon. Great. I mean, music is fruit is being proved yeah. even more. God, um, I forgot all about melon when when we were doing that. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do a whole podcast on that. We're not. Well, no, no, probably not. And probably not mention any of the fruit legs either, because people are just making them up these days. Yeah, um, and also it's been tortuous enough getting through these remixes, to be honest, on this podcast. So uh, yeah, uh, apologies, I- guys. I'm, str- I'm struggling right now, if I'm honest. Well, look, right, Numb, it's on here. Do you think? I mean, this is an easy question to get started. Do you think this is a better version than the original? No, no, I agree. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> this is it's a really bad song. Well, in my notes I've got an experience. It's been a long time since I've listened to Melon. Yeah. Is Melon this bad? Is is No, it... there's a lot of great stuff on Melon, but I don't particularly like this version. Uh I think it sounds like bad 90s hip hop. Well, the thing is, I think The thing I got in my mind was the Keenan and Kel theme tune. <laughs> okay. And the Wild West soundtrack. Both quite irritating songs. Um yeah, I I feel like the, the start of this with a build-up, if you didn't know it was numb, it would be quite interesting because then when you hear Bono coming in with the Gimme Some More, you know, he's doing his Oliver Twist routine, 
I think that you would actually get a kick out of the fact that, oh, it's numb and it's a very different version because it doesn't start with Bono usually. But then when the song actually comes in, the kick is pretty underwhelming. I don't even think it's got a kind of cool jazz vibe to it like the Perfecto mix of this song has. So I'm underwhelmed and slightly numb. Yeah, it's pretty dull. Maybe it just isn't our type of music. Maybe there are fans of U2 out there who really like this, um, but we're not really hip-hop centric, so hard for us to have an, a, a valuable opinion on this, I think. It's not great. Yeah. Not that any of our opinions are valuable. No, sorry. Johnny, where have you been? No, we're not doing that again, are we? <laughs> You're all wet. No, we did it once. It didn't work. Move on. What's the song? I don't know. We never really got any feedback from that. I don't know if... if... Listeners, did you find that weird skit we did in <laughs> Acton Baby funny or not? It took so long to do. No, it stops letting them see behind the curtain. No, but it did. It like took us a good... Like, four tries, I would say. The magic of radio is about keeping the curtain drawn. Right. Well... It took us a long time, so you know it would be it would be good to know if anybody actually enjoyed that stupid skit of you continually leaving the room and then coming back in. Um, but the next song is "Mysterious Ways." Solar uh, Plexus Club mix. Solar Plexus Club. They're good, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> You've gone, this review has drove <laughs> driven you insane, and apparently I can't speak anymore. Everybody knows Solar Plexus Club. Right, anyway, so it's from the Mysterious Way single. It's four minutes, eight seconds of, in my opinion, pretty forgettable remixing. Yeah. And I am not averse to this song being remixed because the Perfecto version is amazing with the, I don't know what you call them, panpipes at the start, you know, whatever kind of keyboardy sort of thing that is, what effect that is. Yeah, if you haven't heard that, then check that out because that is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool remix. Yep, and it proves that Melon is great. Nice house track. But this is just pretty forgettable and it's odd the choices i mean if you are going to have the b-sides and fill it up with uh remixes i don't really know why you would put this one apart from maybe there's an argument to be made that you could play it's this a, in a club it's an odd co- uh, collection of songs certainly mm. um and it's, it's it's a bit worrying now i think i think the listeners can probably tell that i don't think we have any listeners left it's pretty exhausting yeah i don't know if you uh if do us a favor, if you actually do get to this point in the podcast, can you just leave a comment right now to set to, just to show how many of us, uh, how many of you actually got to this? Yeah, I'm uh, here. I'm bored. That's that's if, particularly that if you're thing. listening on SoundCloud. I, I don't know if you, can, I don't think it has that feature on iTunes. But yeah, if you do get to this point in this podcast, can you leave us a comment, please? Right, this is going to annoy them as much as the podcast itself. So, do we have anything more to say about this pretty dreary remix? No, there's a better version. The Perfecto mix is much better. Um, it's odd that it's on this album, and I don't know who they think is still listening at this point. You know how when you uh, think about what you would say to your heroes, you know, if you were sat around with um, you 2 for example, and I very much doubt that's going to happen as it did happen on you talking you 2 to me, but we can hope. It would actually be one of the things I'd be really interested to talk about. You know, say, what was the rationale behind this B-side collection? And I think they've probably genuinely not been asked that by fans because they probably say, you know, the more obvious questions, you know. I'm beginning to wonder if there's a list of things you can't ask them about. Well, I doubt this is on it because I doubt even anyone remembers it. But 
it would be interesting to say, oh, we thought actually that these worked well, or we were going for the club remix because we thought, you know, maybe this would appear in clubs. But even so, the Perfecto remix is very dancey and um, would be better. Or maybe they just didn't think about it at all. Yeah, we will ask them when we get that interview. We will get that interview because I, I don't know about you, Johnny, but I will be doing review two episodes until I'm sat here with at least Bono and the Edge. Well, I think you'd be sat there on your own, to be honest. Well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd think I, I want two members of the band. I don't care which two it is, but I want two members of the band. Well, we've had the fruit, and now it's on to the veg. The big yam mix of If God Will Send His Angels. It's a yam of fruit, uh, a veg? Yes, it's a uh, it's another name for a sweet potato, I'm led to believe. Oh. Uh, I think that's more popular across the Atlantic, although I'm not sure if it, I'm right now. I think it is. Anyway, um, well, this song is about as interesting as a sweet potato. Actually, no, a sweet potato is significantly more interesting than this remix, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, can we tell the listeners what just happened when we just put this song on before we decided before we press record? I started laughing and yeah, saying, we, we, "Oh we, God!" We both started laughing. Um, <laughs> if this if this uh, collection of songs is a joke, then this is the punchline because it does sound comical. Uh, yeah, and a disclaimer here. <laughs> well, as a disclaimer, we. Like you too, by the way. We love you too. Yeah, we have had band. comments that we don't seem to like the band. But as we've said before, you know, if you love something, you criticize it, you take it apart, you see what works and what doesn't work. And I love the song, If God Will Send His Angels. It's not my favorite of pop, but it's beautiful, it's well produced. This remix, this mix, whatever it is, doesn't really add anything. And I, another thing that happened during playing this, I skipped ahead saying under my breath, I think something interesting happens in the middle. And then I skipped ahead a bit and then ahead a bit. Nope, apparently not. Nothing. It keeps going at this steady pace. It. What's the point of this? I'm trying to think of a rationale. And maybe it's just because they couldn't put Gobble Send His Angels on the A-sides. They want to alert people to the fact that this song exists. I think they just legitimately didn't know what to put on the record. Or didn't care. I don't know. I think The Edge would care. Maybe yeah, he's got such good judgment usually. The, the, he's the only person that w- I think would really care what they put out. I can't imagine Clayton sitting down and, going, and thinking, oh God, which B-sides are we going to put on the record? Clayton slamming his fist down. I want that Big Yam remix <laughs> on there. If it doesn't get on there, I'm leaving the band. I, I don't know. It's, um, it's it's really strange that they put this on. I feel like they had a list of all the B-sides they could put on there, including remixes, and just threw a handful of darts at a wall and said, yeah, them. I think you summed it up. There's nothing interesting to talk about because nothing happens. Uh, the, f- the first four seconds, you've got a comical... Um, new bass line and then it's like a boing sound as well isn't it yeah so that's on a loop and then the song just plays pretty much as normal as far as i can tell edge is a bit higher in the mix yeah i mean this is from the mofo single Uh, maybe they were just maybe they still thought that this would work because i think by the time they were bringing mofo out they were pretty desperate well maybe Maybe after you just listened to Mofo and had that intense experience, you would like to, you know, sort of chill out a bit. Maybe that's what this is for. Maybe it's meant to be elevator music. It's, it's aged though, hasn't it? What's this, 20 years old now? I, I mean, I've aged 20 years listening to that song. And it's only meant to be 5 minutes 42. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I mean, I'd never expected a U2 song to make me laugh. Um, But 
<laughs> it's comically bad. Yeah, and the other thing is, why not put the... There are good remixes in this era. The Monster Truck remix is a re- of uh, Staring at the Sun is excellent. Yeah. You know? Put some of the MoFo remixes on. That would be cool. The uh, B-side for Last Night on Earth. Oh, wait, it's just a single version of Last Night on Earth, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that would be pushing it a bit, even though it's a really good mix, but... Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, when you have an artist by the name of Big Yam... What are you expecting? Because I think this is exactly what I expected. But no, remixes don't always mean that it's that artist, though. It could just be that's what they're calling that mix, you know? True, yeah, true. Um, ooh, let's go on to Lemonade. Yep, more fruit. Track 13, Jeep Remix from the Lemon single. It is, of course, Lemon. Yeah. I like this. I'm actually a bit more reinvigorated now. Yeah, it's good. Bono, Bono comes across really well on this track. Very strong focus on Bono's vocals there, particularly um, at that four-minute mark where the most of the of the instrumentation drops out. You've got just keyboards, you know, ambient sounds, and him singing. Really highlights how good that vocal is from Bono. Um, yeah, and if we have appeared like down on most uh, <laughs> most of the songs on this collection um it's it's because i think it, the choices that were made with the remixes weren't particularly interesting hmm. but that's not the case on this song it is an interesting song it is fun to listen to um and there's i can imagine various moods where you know this would be a, a good song to listen to yeah what do you i mean I, I like how it's a bit more industrial than the original song and lemon is one of my favorite ever you two songs so maybe that's why i like it so much um, when we talked about top tens, I'm pretty certain that would make it into my top ten. Um, it's really Lemon is really underrated, and it's the kind of song that I think w- does actually beg to be remixed because there are different points of focus. There's very different sections to the song. There's a lot of depth to the songs, exactly. Whereas previous track, I just I I just don't think it needs a remix. Um, this Jeep remix does highlight some of the maybe hidden aspects of the song underappreciated underappreciated aspects of the song yeah um i i don't know why i think I, well i don't know i'm i'm torn between knowing why it wasn't a commercial success and feeling like i don't know why it wasn't a commercial success but it's because the general listener doesn't pour as much attention into the song as i have if they heard yeah. it on the radio it might seem quite odd it, and quite jarring it doesn't fit with the standard songs you would hear on the radio so that's probably why it didn't work i think it comes down basically to the fact that that falsetto of him singing lemon it divides people it's a bit of a marmite issue and um i mean originally i was a bit oh what's that you know it's a bit odd i think you two would be typecast at this point so if you know you say oh listen to this new u2 song people have a register in the mind of what you two should sound like mm. and they don't they don't really question whether they like it they question whether it sounds like you two and then question whether they like it interesting yeah um so with this song i guess we've got more of an industrial heavier feel to lemon i suppose um what do you make of that tire squeak that's kind of all the way through the song I actually haven't noticed that. So it's obviously not intrusive. Did did you hate it? 
I don't hate it. I just notice it all the way through. I mean, it's maybe not a tire squeak, but I maybe just think it is because it says Jeep. But there is some sort of squeak all the way through the um, the song. And if I'm being brutally honest, I would take that out. Uh, but you no, know, it doesn't 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 bug me too much. Um, it adds to the industrialization. Um, but I think in summary, which is where we're heading. Yeah. Um, this is one of the most worthwhile songs to listen to from this collection. And now finally, we've arrived at Discotech Hexadecimal Mix. And this is a bit a bit late on in the album, I think, to be dropping a kind of a clubby, dancey sort of song on us and expecting us to keep the energy. If this is meant to travel as a collection of songs, I don't think this is the best place for this song because we've kind of been numbed by a lot of the other remixes. But about the song itself, rather than just its placing, um, there's a lot, there's a lot added here, but not that much gained, I would say. Apart from a section in the middle, where again, as in you know other songs, we have a lot of the other instruments dropping out and a real focus on the voice. There seems to be throw everything at this track and see what sticks, and I don't get the best impression from it. Uh, it's problematic. The um, just this right at the start of the song, the 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 music is very deep house, yeah, kind of dancey feel. But when Bono comes in, which I feel is a little bit late to the introduction, is a little bit too long. When Bono does come in, it's like his voice doesn't match up. Like imagine if you were actually in the club, and then this song came on. Mm. It's a bit. I don't think it suits the setting. Yeah. Uh, so maybe and, it should have been an instrumental remix. No, no. Uh, still have Bono singing, but the tone on his voice, the effect on his voice is wrong. Um, but, you know, that doesn't stick around forever. And later on in the song, there is a very open, very freeing um, vocal in there, which does suit it. So it's just at the start where it, it's not quite right. It's mm. almost, but not quite right. So overall, does that kind of where does this fall for you? Because I, I get you don't like that bit of the song, but is this a meh? Is this a great? Is this a bad? Um, it's probably a bad version because because uh, because of that, it doesn't suit its purpose and mm. would fail in its intended setting. Yeah, although I do actually like that deep sound. I think that would have been that would have been interesting. Maybe as an instrument. But when do you listen to it? That's the thing. Music has to have a place in a club, and maybe that's why it's got a long intro, so you can. It's, it's the old something. cliche: if if a tree falls in a forest, but there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Hmm. Well, if a song has no setting to be heard, can it be heard at all? Um, well, it can be heard for a preparation for a relatively botched podcast. Um, <laughs> And this is the first time... Is that time... what the B stands for in I, E, and B? Uh, no. <laughs> I think... I've not listened to this version of the song in a long time, and that speaks volumes. I do... I mean, I think people might get the impression that we just don't understand remixes from this, or we don't like them. I, and, we and do. They'd be fair in saying that, because... Well, we do like them. Like, yeah. We've um... named ones that we prefer, and that's why we're a bit annoyed at the track list in here. Particularly with the 90s singles of U2, if they were doing remixes like they did it with Discotech they did it with 
mysterious ways, I think, and even better than the real thing. They did. They brought out remix CDs, remix singles. So you had the standard track, hmm. the standard single version, and then four or five remixes. And then later, the Mofo like, remixes. Who listens to four or five remixes of the same song in, in one go? Well, no it's, one does, did it's they? It's exhausting. Yeah, but you would just you would use that in a club setting, wouldn't you? You'd say, "Oh, here's." But I'd rather single. have them staggered. Mm. I think it's useful if you're going to if you're a DJ in the '90s and you genuinely like you two. I think it is useful to have them all in one place and say, "Oh, maybe I'll go for you know the Perfecto tonight, or maybe the uh, you know the Solar Plexus Club mix." If you're a loon, so who knows? <laughs> well, fair enough, but I I think this um, album is pretty misjudged. It's a pretty pretty ropey collection of songs and there's no identity as we said with the last one the, these collections of b-sides they they have no home and because of that it's difficult to group them together so it's nice that we do have these collections and it's nice to have an extra disc on the podcast and some people wouldn't have heard these but i can't say it's the best do you remember how full of energy and life we were when we sat down and listened to the lady with the spinning head? Brackets extended dance yeah, remix. That was about two years ago, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And I actually think this collection starts off really well. And I remember putting this on a lot when I was first getting into you two. Um, there's some real highlights here. Summer Rain, North and South, Your Blue Room, real highlights. You're smiling wryly, Tyler, because you don't like those ones, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> um, well, Lady with the spinning head and Dirty Day. Salome, amazing. Oh, and the uh, the lemon Jeep mix. Yeah. So four songs out of fourteen. Um, yeah. But it's just annoying because there's a sense that there is a lot being left off here. You know that we could have had as genuine, interesting B sides that we've not really heard before. And maybe if we're thinking cynically, they did save them up. Perhaps not. Perhaps this wasn't really given much of a thought. It's not a great showing, but I, I, I think it was. It was just an extra thing. It wasn't something that was supposed to be sat there and you know listened to. Hmm. And we're happy to be proved wrong about this, you know, or at least to have another opinion. I'd love to hear someone who really likes this collection of songs in terms of you know the ordering, the selection, why this mix, why the other. If there's a journey to be had throughout this B sides mix, uh, I just don't think there is. No. I'd love to hear the rationale behind someone who does think that, though. So, um, as usual, comments. Okay, so it's kind of needless, really, to ask the question, is this a flipping album? Because, A, it's not an album. It's not intended to be. Um, and I think we've pretty much covered what we think of, you know, the ordering and everything. Is this a flipping collection? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess so. Just like you can have a collection of junk in your old... Um, you know, in an old closet somewhere, along with some absolute gems mixed in. A collection of fluff in your belly button, for example. Hmm. So, moving swiftly on, what is your sweetest thing for this week? Oh, is it time for everyone's favourite feature? Yes, it is. Hmm, sweetest thing! Yep, so, go on. <laughs> What's yours? Uh, my sweetest thing on this album is Lady with the Spinning Head, track one. Track one. Wow. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to say that is mine as well. Uh, but I am going to go... I was going to go with uh, Your Blue Room, but the, th the thing about that is 
as we said, is it a B-side? We don't know. So I'm going to go with Salome. I loved listening to this, uh, to that song for this review. And um, it belongs in a club. More DJs bring this back for, in a club setting, you know. So there we have it. We've got to the end of our B-sides of the 90s review. And next week, we're going to be doing something a little bit interesting because obviously we don't have a Naughties B-sides collection. So Tyler and I are going to work away on a collection of b-sides that we think would be interesting to talk about and maybe we'll say this is what they should have put out you know as a kind of addition to the material that they did in the noughties and maybe we'll say oh these are just interesting you know there will be remixes there will be b-sides there will be covers so look forward to that next week but for now all that is left to say is thank you very much for tuning in please continue to like subscribe and comment Uh, We will see you again next week with a brand new episode. But thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you soon. Hi there. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review to to you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review two or search for the review two podcast on itunes you can also email us at review two contact at gmail.com please like comment and subscribe thank you